You are listening to the Legal Community Podcast, hosted by Guy Remond and Dave Zampano, powered by Guider. Guider provides self-service online legal documents supported by your local attorney. Fast, affordable, and in your own time. For more information and resources, please visit guider.legal and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Legal Community Podcast. I'm Lisa Rozier, joined with Guy Raymond. Hi, Guy. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> Dave Zampano. Back for action. Awesome. And a special guest, Dinesh Chalo, who is here for our second series. Dinesh, how's it going? Great. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing well. Well, thank you for joining us again for a second episode on the Legal Community Podcast. And I know in our first episode, we really talked about life and how you got to a true digitized type of law firm and the different technologies that you were using. And we kind of ended up with Dave talking lawyer to lawyer about ethics. So I'm going to actually just jump back over to Dave and you can pick up with that wonderful question that will kick off the next 20 minutes. Yeah, I know Guy and I addressed this in the digitization of law book we wrote. And ethics is a big issue for lawyers all the time. It's, you know, it's the number one thing they put fear in you when you your first day in law school and they still put fear in you to practice. Right. And so, Dinesh, I'm just wondering how you've addressed the ethical issues, because a lot of times, you know, there's not much information. They're figuring it out at the same time we all are. So how do you get comfortable with all this technology and the mindset of being a lawyer with all these ethical requirements? Well, first of all, take technology out of it. We as lawyers have to deal with ethical requirements. So how do we deal with that in everyday life? We have to first understand that just because something is new and different doesn't mean it's unethical. So we have to approach legal ethics the same way we would with any other thing we do in life. What I don't always understand, and I often hear this, Dave, is pretty much what you just asked. People attach technology to everything like it's a bad thing. It's no different than anything else. We use technology as a tool. We go about analyzing any other tool. So we would look at the legal ethics, wouldn't we? Just like if we were to read a, a, a law journal article, Dave, you're going to look for certain points. We as lawyers always want to refute something, right? We, we always want to argue what we're reading. We want to be better than something else. So we're going to look for points to refute. And one of the things, you're right, one of the things we always look for is, is this ethical? So whether it's something I'm reading or a technological tool I want to use. Yes, obviously I'm going to look into ethics. I'm going to look at privacy. I'm going to look at a lot of different things, just like I would approach any other aspect of business or life. So the fact that it's this technology thing makes absolutely no difference to me. It could be researching sports if I'm into sports, if I want to use something for my business or my personal life. So ethics, you bring that up. Ethics with guider, tech or any other type of technology is no different than ethics in our everyday life. So we look at the rules. We look at how we use things, right? So if I'm using Guider or I'm using DocuSign, one thing I'm looking at with DocuSign, one thing I looked at was to make sure that it hit all of our federal standards. So I was looking at the Uniform Signature Act and all this other type of stuff to make sure that DocuSign hit all of those things. 
Same thing with Zoom. At the beginning of the whole pandemic, I preferred WebEx over Zoom because WebEx had more securities in place. They were more well-established with everything and they were being used heavily for business. So I trusted all of the security that they had in place. The fact that I used to work for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and other blues programs around the country, and they all used WebEx, the healthcare industry adopted it. So as far as privacy and compliance and ethics, I wasn't too concerned about any of those tools. Zoom had me a little bit concerned because it didn't have at first the same securities that WebEx did. But Zoom got its act together really quick. And I would venture to say blew WebEx out of the water all the way around. So again, I wasn't concerned about ethics using that tool. A lot of lawyers are already using CRMs for their day-to-day activities. I don't think I'm too far off on saying that the good majority of attorneys are on some sort of CRM. I am too. So we look into ethics and privacy on that stuff too. How are we using that as, as forms of storage or communication? And what do we have in those systems that can potentially be hacked or gotten into? So I'm, again, all those things are vetted. So I don't get too concerned about that. When I saw Guider and the ability for people to get their documents themselves, I was extremely concerned about the ethics behind it. And I'm usually not like the sky is falling type of person, but the ethics was my major concern because when I look at other things like LegalZoom or the willsandtrusts.com that's out there now, you look at the things behind that, that's just people putting templates into play. No lawyers are really reviewing what the clients are doing. A lot of those documents don't even hit local requirements for compliance purposes. I've had a couple powers of attorney that got kicked back to us because they didn't have addresses on them and you need that in order to record a document. So it's one of those things where I was a little skeptical at first, but I'm of the mindset that just because it's new and different doesn't mean it's bad and dangerous. So I wanted to look into it a little bit more, and I did. And as I looked into it, there are so many fail-safes and and things in place with Guider that protect us as lawyers and our clients as well. In fact, I would venture to say that there's more protection through Guider than there is coming through a lawyer's office. Because everything's documented, everything's tracked. There's very little there's user error, but there's very little room for human error within the system. That's a bold like if you statement. Set the system- I'm just going to call you out on that, Janesh. <laughs> well, that's, no, that's a but, powerful statement. I mean, but it's true. There's always room for user error, but within the guider process, if I set something to do something, it's going to do it. If I tell a person to do something, there's a good chance they might forget to do it. So there's no room for human error there. There is room for user error within the process. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Yeah, like absolutely. The technology is not going to screw but that also protects us as well mm-hmm. as attorneys. There's a big protection there. I the other too, thing people is, want to hide behind it too sometimes as an excuse not agreed. to embrace technology. Agreed. Agreed. Now, where the ethics really came in, and we saw with purpose at our last, our last retreat that we did, we saw a lot of skepticism around, well, if the client, if they do a, a print yourself and sign yourself thing, couldn't there be some forgeries or this or that? 
the instructions and the documents can't get done unless they're notarized. So at the, at the very end of the process, even if the person chooses to do it on their own, by that time, they've received all of their documents. They've received instructions on how to sign those documents. Once that's happened, we've done our job ethically as attorneys. They've chosen not to have us supervise the signing, which means that there's a notary that's going to have to witness those signatures and take those IDs and make sure that everything is what it is. So there's a second step in that process. The other thing attorneys need to get out of their heads because a lot of attorneys have gotten it out of their heads that they need to do funding. Attorneys don't need to do the signings. We really don't. We do it because it's the right thing to do, right? But it's not legally up to us to make sure that the people get things signed unless it's in our contract saying, here's our engagement agreement. We're going to be with you until signing or we're going to be with you until funding. We agree to do these things. We don't have to. In the case of Guider, if they've chosen to do it individually or on their own, they've chosen not to use us for that part of the process. So after that, we're no longer attached to the ethics on that. The documents are all compliant. They've got the drafted by. If anybody has an issue with the documents themselves, my number's on it. They can call. So ethics-wise, if you look at everything that's being done through Guider, the only difference between us walking a client through Guider and us having a client in the office doing things traditionally is that the client isn't sitting face-to-face with us or able to touch us. Because what do we do once we get all of their information? We take it right back to our drafting software and we answer all the questions on our template, just like they would in our wizard. And we go through everything. It's technology. We're using it anyways. If we're embracing it in our lives where we control it, why can't we embrace it where we're still partially in control of it, but there's a third party helping us out? That's all Guider is, to me at least. Guy? Yeah, listen, you know, really appreciate you, you talking to that. And clearly, you know, that's yours and Dave's area of expertise. But you touched on something just at the outset of this conversation, Dinesh, that if you don't mind, I'd like just to speak to which you you touched on the security side because that kind of comes under ethics. You've got to make sure that you keep people's data safe and, you know, you're doing everything you can to make sure that people don't, you know, steal other people's documents or intercept them and that kind of thing. I'm going to tell you a very quick story. Dave knows about this, but Dave and I opened a, a bank account probably 18 months ago, two years ago. And then this is, you know, obviously after the the worst of COVID even then, and I'm based in the UK. It was a US bank account. It's a US company. And the documents for my side of things had to be sent via FedEx for me to sign. And then I had to get FedEx to pick them up and take them back and you know deliver them back to the, the bank in the US. Now, A, that's hugely inefficient because the environmental impact on something like that is just ridiculous compared to the digital impact that using something like DocuSign would cost, but it's inherently insecure. You know, any thousands of people along that journey could have intercepted those documents and done stuff with them because they're just in a plastic envelope, you know, any, and they could just put them back in a plastic envelope and send them on. There's, you know, it, it's just inherently insecure. And yet, even after COVID, some of these financial institutions insist on using that methodology instead of something actually like DocuSign, which is absolutely fit for purpose, 
which allows you to read and sign documents within minutes and for the other person to receive confirmation automatically that you sign those. It's just, it's like night and day. Why would you use the old method, which is highly insecure and highly inefficient? So speaking to the security side, because like Dave says, people's, sometimes people's reactions are to find reasons not to do things rather than find reasons to do things. And that's kind of an inbuilt thing in certain people, right? I'm always someone, that, and I know you are, Dinesh, just speaking to you, that, you know, we try and find reasons to do things. And then maybe, you know, if we do find issues, just raise them and allow them to be dealt with because that's the way forward. So, you know, with Guider, what we've done from a technical viewpoint is taken great care to make it very difficult for anybody to hack into the system. You know, a well-designed, well-architected piece of software is very, very difficult to hack into. You know, if someone wanted to hack into NASA, they can do. You know, they, they can hack into anything ultimately. But the deal with this is that you have to make it more difficult than the effort that it's worth. And I can absolutely guarantee you that Guider and most well-designed, well-architected platforms and pieces of software like the CRMs you described have had all the relevant design considerations, architectural considerations, and um, third-party companies coming in whose job it is to try and break into these things. So we, we, you know, we have these things called penetration tests where we have experts who know how to break into these systems, try and break them. And every year, and sometimes after a major release, we will get third-party companies to come in. And if they can't break into it, honestly, very few people in the world can. So, you know, these things are way more secure. And all you ever hear about are the, you know, the, the data breaches from companies who, quite frankly, haven't taken care to do things properly. And, and that's the same in any whether it's digital or whether it's uh, manual, you're going to get people that cut, cut corners and not do it properly. Guys, but, don't, don't most software companies provide a digital security certificate of some sort and things like that nature when people utilize them? Yeah, you can. You, you can. We've got a, a digital security certificate. And yeah, I mean, that goes some way. But actually, the most important thing is the way something's engineered and architected and then it's tested by these third-party companies who specialize in trying to break systems. And honestly, if you get through that, which we did with Flying Colors, then you are pretty damn safe. And the other thing that, that I think people don't realize is that these companies who do get breached or hacked into, it's not like their systems are getting breached directly. What hackers are doing, and one of my friends is actually somebody who does do the security audits and the breach testing. So he told me what hackers are doing right now is they're going after the low-hanging fruit and getting all of their passwords and backing into these larger systems through people like me. So if people are so concerned about the security of these tools that are spending millions of dollars to protect themselves, then like I'm not spending a million dollars to protect myself right now. Like I, I do my cybersecurity audits and I've got my cyber insurance because I do use a lot of technology. But I'm not spending millions of dollars a year to have protection for all of that stuff. That's what these companies are doing. They're third-party entities are able to spend the money to do what we need to get done. So to argue with that is putting yourself in a position where, like I said, it's just like time. If you don't use it properly, it's just going to pass you by. I was say, it's like, it's like leaving your front office door open, Dinesh, isn't it? You know, if you don't shut the door and lock it, 
then someone's going to walk in and the chances are you, they might steal something from you. So it's just basic stuff that humans have to do. It's always human error, honestly. 99% of the time when these things happen, it's because somebody's used passwords for their password or their date of birth for their password. Something, you know, they, they, people really need to understand that if you have a 12-character mixed-digit password, then no one's going to crack that. They really aren't. And there's pieces of software out there, things like Dashline, that allow you to store all these passwords really securely, and they generate the passwords. So honestly, you know, if you get, like I say, 12 to 16-digit thing that password that isn't within Dashline, within the password manager, then you, you, honestly, you are super secure. The only password you have to remember, it's the only one you have to remember, is the one into your password manager. That, that these pieces are not going to do it for you. If you don't remember that, then perhaps you shouldn't be using a computer. <laughs> well, I assume most attorneys listening have been listening to this and say, yeah, I, I do think that. I think this. And But Dinesh, I'd like for you to bring a full circle as we wrap up. You know, technology, there's pieces and parts to it. And there's things outside of our control and there's things inside of our control. There's a lot of it you can use. There's a little bit of it you can use. Well, What's your closing thoughts to, you know, the Legal Community Podcast listeners on the prize of embracing technology and the simple fixes to overcome challenges of fear and things of that nature? But what's the prize for them? What's the big picture available to them with it to really start embracing more? They all embrace technology to some level, but to get to the next level and the next level, what's your advice? It's going back to what I said earlier, where technology, the word technology to me is just like saying any other tool. It's a tool in the toolbox. So as soon as people can stop associating technology with being bad or too advanced or too difficult to understand, there's a reason that there's a phrase called user-friendly. Like that, That's what we strive to do with technology is make everything user-friendly right? for the end user. It's like every other tool in the toolbox. If you use it properly and you're not afraid to use it, then it could be a valuable resource for you. So it's just like a will, a trust, or anything else. Like we, we all use them, but how do we use them differently within Lawyers with Purpose? We use them way differently than any other traditional attorney would. So there's different ways to use different tools. And those who are afraid to use them in an innovative or forward-thinking way get left behind. Like I would much rather be called a forward thinker than a left behind thinker. So that's just, that's just me though. So I, I don't want to, when people are saying, if you can't beat them, join them. I want to be one of the thems that people are joining. I don't want to be one of the defeated that has to join the group. So that's essentially what technology means to me is it's advancement and it's moving forward, regardless of what field you're in. If you're in the medical field and you don't embrace it, you're going to get left behind with the potential of quote unquote home visits or virtual visits. If you're in the legal field, you're going to get left behind when it comes to, you know, eventually people aren't going to want to leave their home to talk about death and disability. They might want to do it from the comfort of their own home or from their nursing home. Cause like it or not, people who are aging are also those who grew up on technology. So people who are going into nursing homes are more familiar with technology now, and they're going to want to utilize it when they can't move around as well. So we either start now or we get left behind. 
I think a lot of it is mindset, quite frankly. I think if people can just have a, almost like have a word with themselves and say, look, you know, the whole world is moving towards technology. It's clearly a thing. It's, it's having a very positive effect by and large. Why am I against it? And it, it goes back to that, you know, I want to try and find reasons to do something rather than not to do it. And I think if you try and find reasons to do something, and you do your research like Dinesh, you've done with the ethics and with the types of technology and the security that those technologies offer. You do your research. There's plenty of companies out there that can help you with that if you, you don't have time to do it yourselves. Then it's a, you know, that it opens up the world of opportunity, both from a, an efficiency point of view and an opportunity point of view in terms of business, additional business, new business, business that you perhaps wouldn't have before. And, you know, the one thing that we haven't talked about, which I'm just going to mention in my closing message, the last thing I'm going to say is that people who engage with you digitally, you might not meet them to begin with, which is fine because, you know, they're still on your database. You know who they are. You've got the details. And with their permission, you can continue to communicate with them digitally because there will be a point when they want to come back and maybe, you know, if they have a family or they get married or, you know, whatever the situation is, where they actually need some assistance that isn't going to be digital, it is in person. And it kind of cultivates future clients. You build the relationship up at the start of the digital relationship. But almost always, if that goes well, that develops into a physical relationship as well. So it, it becomes long-term at that point. And I'll bring this for full circle for my, my ending here. But one, <laughs> one coach that I have always says, how would you like that cooked? And he's a big steak eater. So he always says, how would you like your steak cooked? Not everybody likes their steak cooked the same way. So that's what I feel like I'm offering. I'm now saying to the client, how do you want to be communicated with? Do you want in-person? Is that better for you? Or do you want to do something electronically? A lot of clients currently, and I'd say it's about a 50-50 mix right now, but the 50% who are saying, hey, we just want to meet digitally or like virtually online, we can do that. That frees up a lot of time during the day for me to accommodate those that want to meet in person because now I can meet them if it's not a confidential conversation, I can meet them at a restaurant. If it is, I can meet them in a place where they're comfortable, their home, their nursing home, their hospital beds, another professional's office. There are so many things that you can do. It opens up a whole world of opportunities for you because again, now look at what I can do. I can double my exposure here. If I'm using somebody else's office with one of my clients, you think one of my realtor friends doesn't want me dragging one of my clients through their office to use their conference room? Of course they do. So now they've got another person in their business seeing how their business works. And it's another trusted relationship that I can introduce them to. So, And, and I do the same thing with financial advisors too. So it can serve a lot of purposes. Technology allows me to do that mixed with a little old school thought as well. Those are some great closing comments. And we're just wrapping up. It was, man, that I think we went over 20 minutes today, went by fast, gentlemen. So as always, Dave and Guy, thank you, Dinesh. I appreciate you coming in for a second episode. And for our listeners out there, if they wanted to reach out directly to you, Dinesh, how can they, how can they find you? They can go to www.chawlalegal.com. That's C-H-A-W-L-A-L-E-G-A-L. Or we can be found at Facebook and all social medias at Chala Legal. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your input. Great conversation. And for our listeners to get additional episodes, just go to guider.legal and click on the legal community podcast button. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the legal community podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at guider.legal for more information and please review and share this show. We'll see you next time.